Turn with me to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. If you haven't been here recently or you're a visitor, we are preaching through the book of Exodus, where the God's chosen people, the children of Jacob, were enslaved in, in Egypt. God uses Moses to redeem them through a miraculous acts of power where he demonstrates he's more powerful than the Egyptians and their gods, destroying them in the Red Sea, delivering his people uh, solely based on the promise he made to them. But he's not content to just rescue them. He wants to also change them into a nation of people that reflect his glory and share it with the rest of the world. And to do that, he gives them laws to guide them, to show them what it looks like to be uh, made in the image of God and to be a nation of God. And so uh, chapters 20 and onward are God giving instructions on how Israel should live as a nation, his laws. So we're in chapter 23, verses 1 through 13. This is all happening. It's taking us months, but it's really all happening in a a day for, for Israel. So God is speaking to Moses, telling them, telling Moses how to set up the kingdom or the nation of Israel. In verse 23, it says, in verse 1, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify a dispute, so as to turn aside after many, after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger. That stranger there means a sojourner or a non-citizen. For you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Six years you shall sow your land and gather its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. And the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may rest, that the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect, and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. This passage talks about justice. Now, if you ever turn on the radio, TV, or hang out at the barbershop or at work, social justice is a hot topic. And depending on which crowd you hang out in, it's either good or bad. You may have heard the term social justice warrior. It's not a nice word. It's not a nice title for people. It's derogatory. Um, on the other side, you hear sort of the hard-hearted, uncaring people who only care about their own money, don't care about anybody else. But this question of justice sort of gripped America, maybe more so in the past few years for the majority, though it's always been an issue. How do we deal with social problems? Problems in society. For the Christian, 
the answer should be, what does the Bible say? How is it fulfilled in Christ? How does it apply to us? In that order. The Bible gives us a guide on how to pursue justice and also how seriously God takes justice as evident in Christ's death to satisfy God's just wrath for our sins. Now, we follow Christ and his love for justice. So we're going to go three things. Biblical justice as given by God to Israel. So the biblical justice commands. Then we're going to look at what Christ did and see biblical justice achieved. And then thirdly, practicing biblical justice through the gospel. So in this text, he's talking about biblical justice, but there's two, two parts to justice here. Two aspects, public and social. You may have a bad taste in your mouth about social justice, but that's only a, re- a recent thing. Social justice started to be used, the term started being used in the 1840s by religious thinkers who were trying to figure out how to relate. Only in the 1970s, when uh, secular philosophers, uh, John Rawls was the first one, co-opted the term to use it for government control and equality. So that's kind of, in the past five years, it's become a very negative term. But we can go back to the way it should have been used and has been used for hundreds of years. And that's social justice versus public justice. So the Bible talks about this. So public justice is those powers that be, government, official powers, who ensure that justice is carried out in a nation, a country, a kingdom. Social justice is justice among the members of that country, nation, community. Public justice is basically the government pursuing justice. The Bible talks about that in this passage. Social justice is the members of the society pursuing justice among each other. Now, how that's done, okay, that's a big question, but the concept is is necessary. Pursuing justice both from the government to the people and the people among themselves. And the Bible talks about both of these in this passage. What's the goal of biblical justice? What is the goal of justice according to the Bible? The goal of justice is to give people what is due to them according to God's righteousness. Now, what is due to them varies based on what they've done or what's been done to them. But biblical justice, the goal of it is to give people what is due to them based on their on the virtue of them being image bearers, being made in the image of God, which is everybody. So there's a justice due to everybody based on them being made in the image of God. Then there's the justice based on what you do, your own actions, and also the actions done to you, all according to God's standard of righteousness. Because that's where really it comes into play, like what is justice and what is due? To people. So the Bible shows according to God's justice. But justice is not a high concept. It's very practical. When you read this text, it's not theoretical. It says you want to do justice? It's practical. It looks like something that you practice in your own life on a daily basis. So there's three things that this passage talks about, three aspects of justice. The first one is You owe people to protect them by protecting the truth. You shall not circulate a false report. Don't spread rumors. 
Don't spread gossip. Don't spread anything that you are not sure is true. It may be true, but you're not sure. Don't circulate it. You don't talk about things you don't know about. You don't talk about people you don't know about. You only say things that you know are true. Don't circulate a false report. Don't talk about things you don't know are true. Why? Because gossip hurts people. Gossip undermines their dignity. It causes them pain. It causes them suffering. Justice says they are due respect for the truth. Injustice spreads falsehood, says things that aren't true, implies things that aren't true. See, sometimes we say the truth, but say it in a way that implies something else. For instance, so I guess it's okay to... Whatever you say next has been poisoned. So I guess it's okay to whatever. You're, you're saying the truth. Even if the statement is true, you're saying it in a way to make it sound bad. You're implying some sort of undercurrent of evil. Often gossip is true statement said in a way to hurt people. That's wrong. That's unjust. People are owed the truth because they're made in the image of God and God is truth. So you protect them. So it says, don't spread a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Don't conspire with someone else to produce whatever good result you may have by wrong means. You see police shows like this. You'll see crime shows. You'll see court shows. You'll see all people saying, we need to get here, but we can't get here there unless we work together to perfect our story. Make sure we're on the same page. No, don't work with someone else to get your story straight. Just tell the truth. Don't conspire. Don't use the social aspect that God has given you to undermine other people. He goes on and says, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. God created us to be social animals, social creatures, to live in community. Community is very powerful. Which means that when the community goes wrong, it applies enormous pressure on individuals to either say the wrong thing or just be quiet. God is saying that is unjust. Just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean you should, right? So often we may not say the wrong thing, we just don't say anything. Because everyone else is wrong, everyone else is against it. God is saying justice speaks the truth when everyone else says not to. You should not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now, that's interesting. We always think of the rich. Even if you feel sympathy for the person, if it's wrong, you say it. That's hard sometimes for those of us who are trying to reach out to people who may be oppressed or may be at the wrong end of society. You don't lie for them. You don't manipulate the truth for them. You don't get them justice through false means. You say the truth. You don't show partiality based on sympathy. You just tell the truth. That is justice. When you're on the jury, this is the most obvious meaning. When you're on a jury or you're a witness in a trial, absolutely. But when you're talking to people, your word has power. You may not feel like you have a lot of power, but your word has power. You have the power to treat people unjustly just by talking. The Bible says that is not biblical justice. Biblical justice speaks the truth no matter what. Then it goes on and gets even more specific. You are to help your neighbor. 
That's easy, right? Yes, but who is your neighbor? So God says, I'll make sure you understand exactly who your neighbor is. If you meet your enemy's ox, what about your neighbor? Well, sometimes your neighbor is your enemy. Sometimes more likely that your neighbor is your enemy sometimes. It says your enemy, someone you are against. Maybe for the right reason. It doesn't say why he's your enemy. Maybe he's done the wrong thing. Maybe she's done the wrong thing. So they've opposed you. You are against them. If you find their property that they need, that, they, that is theirs, what do you do? You restore it to them. You help them get ahead in life by restoring what is theirs. Now, it's interesting you use a donkey or an ox. Why? It's not like you found gold on the road. That would be different. What do donkeys and oxen do? They walk around. So you could say to yourself, well, I'm sure it'll get back. Right? It got this far. It'll make it back. It's their fault. They should have put it in a fence. God told them to put a fence around the ox. No. Justice says you go and you get it and you lead it back to your enemy's house and you say, I found your stuff and I wanted to help you because that is what is due to you. See, God's justice doesn't let you discriminate between people you like and people you don't like. Yeah. Next passage says, if you see the donkey of one who hates you, your relationship has no bearing on justice. It doesn't, see, he doesn't give you an out. Well, if they stole your donkey and then you see their donkey, no. If they're your neighbor and, you, and they're your neighbor because you see them, if you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it. Why would you refrain from helping it? Because they hate you. They want to use that donkey and the stuff that it has to undermine your life. They hate you. They're your enemy. They want to destroy you. What are you to do? Justice says you help them with their stuff. Your relationship has no bearing on your behavior when it comes to justice. You do justly. You act justly, regardless of your relationship with the person. That means helping them get their stuff back, even though they could use that stuff against you. Help all your neighbors. That's, that's not mercy. That's not grace. That's justice. See, sometimes we're like, well, I'm going to help them because God helped me, and I just want to you know, be merciful and gracious to others. No. You help them because it's due to them. The law tells you what is right to do. Justice says do this because they are made in the image of God and they are your neighbor. And that's what neighbors deserve. So you don't get to say, well, I'm being a gracious and loving person. I'm going beyond to help them. No, you're not. You're doing exactly what's required of you. You live in a community. There are things that are due to community members. They don't have to like you. You don't have to like them. But that's what part being a part of a community means. It means helping people in the community. That's justice. This is take special care of weaker members of the community. You should not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. You don't want to be poor and go to trial. Not in America, at least. Not anywhere in the world. Rich people always have the advantage. They hire better lawyers. They have more influence in the community. People want to see them thrive because their, their investments are tied up with them. 
Poor people no one cares about because they have no impact. So he says here, justice means a poor person has rights in the same way that a rich person has. Their value to the community is not based on how much money they have. Their value to the community is based on two things. They're made in God's image, and they're a member of the community. That's it. So you help them. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. I don't know your view on the death penalty, but unless you're 100% sure that they're guilty, you should not support the death penalty. See, the death penalty in principle is biblical. You kill someone, you forfeit your life. But in practice, it's not always just to support the death penalty. It says, keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. He says, if you're not 100% sure that the justice system is only going to kill guilty people, you need to distance yourself from it. Because the minute you execute an innocent person, God is against you. God is against that system. So you look at the system you're in and you say, if it doesn't only punish guilty people, it's unjust. Even though the principle may be just, the practice may not be. That's hard sometimes. But the practice is what, see, the innocent person deserves to live. And if the justice system operating on principles that are true does not allow him to live, it's an unjust system, whatever principles it may be based on. You don't get to live in the world of principles. You live in the world of your neighbor. You live in the world of people. Also, you should take no bribe. You don't have a big problem with bribes in America, but there's more people in the world than America. And bribery in other countries is the way of life. It's not always malicious. It's not always, I want you to do the wrong thing. And that's how it works in America sometimes. It's not someone saying, here's $100 for you to do the wrong thing. It can be just, I'll do a favor for you because I like you. And you're also making decisions. They may not even ask the decision from you. God is saying, you stay away from that because it will influence you. If you have a position of power, don't let people give you stuff that would affect that. If you're a boss, if you are in the government, be very careful about letting people influence you by being nice to you. It doesn't seem wrong. Yes, but a bribe or a gift, this, this word could be translated gift. A gift blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. It just puts something in front of you that you can't see around. So stay away from that. Also, you should not oppress a stranger. For you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Strangers, sojourners, foreigners, non-citizens are very easily oppressed because they don't have the status that everyone else has. You should take special care of the weaker in the justice system. Does America's justice system protect weak people? God said he wanted the Bible, that the people of Israel, the justice system would protect the weak. You protect them in the economic system. Six years you shall sow your land and gather its produce, but on the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, and the poor of your people may eat. That's the poor of your people meet. Wait, the poor didn't sow the land. Why do they get to eat? Because that is what is due to a member of the community. God does not want people to starve to death. 
even if they don't work. That's not justice. People in the image of God should live. Members of your community should be taken care of. And if that means that you sacrifice to make it happen, that's justice. You see, the Sabbath said six years you work, and on the seventh year you sacrifice so that the poor can eat. See, our view of justice is this real strict where you only get what you work for. And anything outside of that is not just. But what does the Bible say? Six years you work, you get the produce. The seventh year, you sacrifice all that you would have gotten from the land and give it to the people who don't own the land. Now, I'm not promoting any sort of economic system. I'm just showing you what the Bible calls justice. Members of the community should be cared for, especially those who are weaker. And if it means you sacrificing to care for them, that's what God is saying here. Six days you should do your work. And on the seventh day you shall rest. That's great. Everyone likes that one. And your ox and your dog you may rest. That the son of your female servant, right? Like the lowest status in this society. And the stranger may be refreshed. You lose money. You lose work so that they can be cared for. God says this is justice. Made in the image of God means you should have a chance to rest, to be refreshed. Doesn't matter your status. Made in the image of God carries with it inherent rights that should be respected in all societies. That's justice. You don't earn those rights. They are part of you. And God says any justice system that doesn't recognize those rights is not righteous. It's unjust. That's hard for people like us sometimes who are middle class and work hard and see people who aren't like us who we feel are not doing what they should do to get ahead. But who else would it be but the poor here? Why didn't they work? God doesn't talk about that. In this passage, he says they're members of your community. You owe it to them to help them. That's what being a part of a community is. You don't earn your way into a community. You're born into it. You live in it. You don't earn your way to the image of God. You're born into it. You live it. And so justice treats people like that. The government, but also you in your daily life. That's what social justice is. It's treating people like they are. Made in the image of God and part of our community. Treating them like your neighbor. Their social status. People have lower social statuses than others. That's why he says, take care of the stranger and the poor. Lower social status means less power. Not just less power, less concern. People care less about people further down the ladder. They just don't care much. So justice looks out for them. Takes special care for those people most likely oppressed. That's not mercy. That's not grace. That's justice. America is not a just nation. It's not a just, it has some justice, but it has plenty of injustice. Weaker people are exploited. Native American women have no records for their disappearances. You don't know how many Native American women disappear because they don't keep track of it. Why not? Because it's injustice. Young men grow up without fathers and so become evil at times, become dependent, become corrupted. That's injustice. 
and they're more likely if they're poor. That's injustice. A man was killed a few years ago. He walked into a Walmart, picked up a BB gun that Walmart was selling, walked to the food section and was on the phone. He was black. The white manager called in the report. Guess what he said? There's a black man pointing guns at people. The police show up. Within five seconds, they killed him. Is that justice? No, see, spreading a false report kills people. That's injustice in America. You know what happened to the police officers? Nothing. You know what happened to the guy who called in the false report? Nothing. That's injustice. Small children are representing themselves in immigration court. That's injustice. That's America. You can't ignore it. To ignore it is to say, I'm okay with it. The Bible calls us as individuals, notice the command here is individuals, to speak the truth, to care for the weak, to care for the poor, because they're part of our community. That's God's justice system. We fail at that. But God hasn't changed just because it's not Israel anymore. You see, we're like, wow, this was 1,500, this was 3,500 years ago. But you know what the Old Testament is about after this book? It's God <laughs> condemning Israel for not doing the very things in this chapter. God still cares about justice. Throughout the Old Testament, Amos chapter 5, this is 700 years later, the prophet speaks to Israel, For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Ezekiel, a thousand years later. Look, the princes of Israel, the leaders, each one has used his power to shed blood in you. Notice the identification with the leaders and the people. Well, I didn't do it. That was the government. Each one has used his power to shed blood in you. In you they have made light of father and mother. In your midst they have oppressed the stranger. And in you they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. In you they take bribes. You take usury and increase. You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion. You have forgotten me, saith the Lord God. You have forgotten me by forgetting your neighbor. And don't blame it on the people in charge. You are a member of your community. Can your heart endure and can your hands remain strong in the days when I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. Malachi 3, the last book in the Old Testament, a thousand years after Moses gave this, God still cares. I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I do not change. You think God changed all of a sudden because Jesus died on the cross? You think God no longer cares about the oppressed because Jesus paid for our sins? You see, the gospel does not mean God doesn't care about justice. It just means that he achieved justice for the people through another means. It doesn't mean he stopped caring. God still cares about justice. 
He cares so much about justice that he sent Christ. You see, this is the gospel. The gospel is what Jesus did for us. It's a, a record of events that are in the past. Namely, that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died. It's a record of Christ and his work. What is the gospel? A record of Christ and his work. He lived justly. He practiced justice. You see, Christ coming to this earth and ignoring these commands, that wouldn't work. He cared for the poor. He rested on the Sabbath, and he let those who worked for him rest on the Sabbath. He was a carpenter. You think he never worked with people? He let them rest. He cared for the poor. He cared for his family. He treated foreigners correctly. He lived justly because God loves justice. But then he died for the unjust. You see, all of us fail God's standard of justice. And God says, I will punish those. You read the book of Amos. You read the book of Ezekiel. It's mostly just filled with God punishing people. God's wrath. He says, I will kill you. I'll kill your children. I'll destroy your land. I'll ruin everything because you mistreat people. Not just because you worship false idols, but because you mistreat the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the poor. God says, I will kill you for that. God still loves justice, and because he loves justice and he loves us, he reconciled it. So Christ, the just, died for the unjust. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You see how much God cares about justice? So much that Christ, the just, died for all of us who break these rules. All of us us who are selfish. We sing the song, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Tell me, ye who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends through fear his cause disowning, foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. You think you hurt Christ? Not as much as God did. God cares so much about justice that he killed Jesus for it. The just for the unjust. How much is justice a part of God's world? This much. What killed Jesus was not the Romans, not the Jews, not the sinners. God killed him. Because God says, I will kill anyone who is unjust. And Christ says, I'll be counted as unjust, so kill me. But he didn't just die because of injustice. He saved us from justice. You see, the gospel call is Christ died so that you can be saved from God's justice. That's the beauty of, that's the good news. Romans 3 says, but now the righteousness of God. Righteousness in the Old Testament is another word for justice. Apart from the law. Wait, a righteousness apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Not on all who do justice, but on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But what about justice? You just get to go free? to demonstrate the present time his righteousness, his justice, that he might be just 
and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we can conclude that a man is justified, is counted as a just man by faith apart from the deeds of the law. See, God says, I will not let unjustice go unpunished. And I'm also going to treat you like you never did anything wrong. How? By killing Jesus. The substitution of Jesus for us is how justice is fulfilled and how we go free. Not because we are just, but because we're forgiven. And the forgiveness, forgiveness doesn't mean everything goes away. It means it's put on somebody else. And it was put on Jesus. He died, the just for the unjust. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. God the just is satisfied to look on Christ and pardon me. You can't keep these standards, but Christ can. And you don't want to pay for them, but Christ did. Faith in Christ means your sin goes on him and his righteousness goes on you. You become a justice person. Fully and always caring for the poor. Always living righteously because he lived righteously. That is the gospel. Christ did it. Christ paid for it. We believe it. And we get all the benefits. But that doesn't end the Bible. God still cares about justice. He didn't stop caring about justice because you don't have to pay for it. So we live just not to earn our salvation, but because we love God. Biblical justice through the gospel. See, God gave us a new heart when we believed. He regenerated us. What the Israelites did not have, he regenerated us. And that new heart is a heart after God. A heart that loves God. And you know what God loves? God loves justice. Amos chapter 5 says, Take away from me the, the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice roll down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream. What does God care about? Justice. Rolling down like water. Covering everything. Flooding the world with justice. That's what God wants. And if you're a believer, that's what you want. You just need to be reminded of it. You love God means you love justice. New love produces a new life. You're set free from the standards of justice so that you can actually live it. The church has a job. That's to proclaim the truth about God. Not to make laws, not to, to go out there and legislate, not to insert itself into the government. The church has a job, that the body of Christ has a job to preach Christ, preach the Bible, and disciple people to follow Christ. But following Christ means loving Christ. And you know what Christ loves? Justice. So the church body does not actively agitate for justice, but Christians do. The church body doesn't, but Christians do. You see, you're going to go out to your job and you're going to face injustice. You're going to turn on your TV and you're going to see injustice. Your heart should yearn to 
Resolve it. That's what following Christ means. There's a, there's a disagreement in America right now among evangelical Christians about how we should relate to justice. And some leaders, prominent leaders, who I've respected for a long time are saying the church needs to stay out of these social problems. We only preach the gospel. Kuiper says there's some truth that the church should help believers shape every area of their lives with the gospel. It doesn't mean the church as an institution is itself to do everything it, it equips its members to do. For example, while the church should disciple its members who are filmmakers so that their cinematic art be profoundly influenced by the gospel, that does not mean that the church should establish a company that produces feature films. Chesapeake Baptist Church is not in the business of making laws to help people. It's in the job of discipling Christians. But that means that individuals will behave differently. D.A. Carson talks about the influence of the gospel. He says, the gospel is the good news of what Christ, of God has done. That's it. Especially in Christ Jesus. Especially in his cross and resurrection. It is not what we do. Because it is news, it is to be proclaimed. But because it is powerful, it not only reconciles us to God, but it transforms us. And that necessarily shapes our behavior, priorities, values, relationships with people, and much more. If you don't care about justice for everybody, for black people, for immigrants, for white people, for atheists, everybody, minorities, majorities, then you don't really care about justice. The church is to preach the gospel, and the people are to live the gospel. A valid Christian political witness for social justice starts with the premise that all persons are created in God's image. Social justice seeks especially to protect the vulnerable. Isn't that what God was saying? Including the very young, the very old, the unborn, the terminally ill, the disabled, the poor, the unpopular. Social justice also seeks to energize the able and the powerful towards virtue. Social justice must also safeguard essential liberties rooted in human dignity and God's character. You don't get to be against abortion and for oppression of immigrants. You don't get to pick which injustice you're for or against. You're against all injustice because God is against all injustice. Sometimes we conservatives use pro-life or abortion issues to say we don't have to care about anything else. Like, well, I'm for the most important thing, saving lives, so the rest of it's not my problem. No, that's just a way to make your guilt go away. Christians love all their neighbors. They love their enemies. They love those who hate them. They love everyone, and they help everyone achieve justice, regardless of how you feel about them. Failure to pursue justice in life is a failure to see Christ's sacrifice and his love for justice. Why do we want to help oppressed people? Because they work hard? No. Why do we want to help people? Because they're doing the right thing? No. We help them because Christ wants to help them. Amen. Why do we want justice so that we'll have a safe society? No, because God wants justice so much that Jesus died for it. The new kingdom is a kingdom of justice. That's what we should long for. And in the ability that we have now as individuals, we should be working towards it. Who is your neighbor? 
you can drive to their location, they're your neighbor. That's a big expanse, isn't it? You see interstates and internet and cars and money transfers make your neighbor a lot closer than it used to be. And just because they don't look like you or act like you or keep the law like you doesn't mean they don't deserve justice. Why? Because God loves justice. We love it. How do we motivate ourselves to do it? You don't. You look at Christ dying for the unjust. You look at Christ refreshing and rejuvenating and regenerating the unjust. And we see how much God loves justice and it changes our heart and we turn and love our neighbor. Justice comes from the gospel. You don't get to divide them. Do you love the gospel? Then you should love justice. If you don't love the gospel, then you are unjust. To close, I urge you, turn to Christ or pay for your sins. Turn to Christ or be punished. But when you turn to Christ, it's all gone. God loves you just like he loves Christ. Let's pray.